If you'd like to open up your Bibles with me to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. I want to take this time while you're looking for that to thank you for being here this morning. If you're visiting with us, I want to let you know you are our honored guests. And it is my hope and prayer that each, each and every one of us listens to what God has to say to us this morning. Daniel chapter 4, beginning in verse 28. <clears throat> the Bible says, All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Do you know do you know just how great King Nebuchadnezzar was? Do you know how powerful King Nebuchadnezzar was? Today he is known as the greatest king of the Chaldeans. He is the greatest king that the Babylonians ever had. He helped rebuild and fortify the city of Babylon. He had a great and powerful army. He was, when it came to battle tactics, a brilliant tactician. Not only that, but he had tremendous wealth. Vast amounts of gold and of silver. In his time, he was one of the most powerful men. Not only that, but he's also credited for having built one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. He was a great man, a great king, a powerful king. And it says one day, he was walking on the roof of his grand and beautiful palace, overlooking the entire city. And he looked at everything that was under his control at everything that he has been able to accomplish. And he looked at all of that and he said, I did that. I did that. Oh, such a great leader. My leadership skills. My brilliant tactics in war. My power. My authority. That's why we're so prosperous. That's why I've been able to accomplish everything that I have. And isn't that what we hear a lot of people say today in the world? When it comes to things people have accomplished or achieved in their life, whether that be 
a fantastic job, a good education, a great home, and they say, I did that. It took years of hard work, of sacrifice, blood, sweat, and tears, but I finally did it. I did it. But what does God say? It says, a voice from heaven came down while the words were still in his mouth that said, oh, you think, you think you're something? You think you're somebody in this life? Let me show you what you really are. And at that time, Nebuchadnezzar became a beast. It says the hair all over his body grew out the length of eagle's feathers, and his nails turned into bird's claws. No longer did he enjoy the fantastic meals and banquets that a king could ever have. But now he ate grass and shared his meal with the cattle. No longer did he dress of the finest clothes and most expensive clothing that a king could wear, but now the only thing that clothed him was the rain that fell from the sky. No longer did he have people that surrounded him that would do anything he asked in the snap of a finger. Now he was alone. No one to care enough to wonder, where's my king? No one who cared enough to go look for him. He was all alone with nothing left. And this was God's way of telling King Nebuchadnezzar, you think you're something? You think you're somebody in this life? Let me show you what you really are. What you really are is a nobody. You're a nobody. You're nothing but dust. You're nothing, like in Job's word, words, nothing but a worm on the earth. Your life is nothing. You're nobody. Let's continue reading in verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And He does according to His will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say to Him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, 
And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. You couldn't get two of the most opposite people within the same story. The two people that you find, one at the beginning of this story, and the one that you find at the end. At the beginning of this this story, we have the same person, King Nebuchadnezzar, who is prideful and egocentric, who does not have God absolutely, neither in his mouth nor in his mind. He has nothing to do with God. But at the end of this story, we have the same person, the same king, the same Nebuchadnezzar, now humble, meek, and lowly, who cannot stop praising and glorifying God. You know, when we read this story, those of us who have already read this story, or maybe this is your first time reading this story, you might think, well, this story is about pride. This story is about just how hideous, how ugly pride is in the eyes of God. And I will say that's definitely a big point, a big topic. But that's not the main message of this story. The main message of this story is about change. It's about God's power to change people. I mean, how else could a man who was so far away from God come so near to Him? This story is about change. But what made Him change? How did He change? Well, we know what happened. He got turned into a beast. But I don't think that was exactly what changed them. I think it helped. It aided. But King Nebuchadnezzar would have never changed if he did not realize something first. If he wouldn't have realized that he was a nobody. And so change can never come unless a person first recognizes who they truly are. That they're nobody. That without God, we're nothing. Our lives are nothing but a vapor, but dust in the wind, a shadow that comes and goes. We're not really in control of our lives. We're in control of our decisions. We can decide whether or not to obey God. But in an instant, everything can be taken from us as it was for King Nebuchadnezzar. Turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Let's go to the New Testament now. Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7, we find that of all people, a Pharisee asked Jesus to come into his house and share a meal together. And as they recline at table, and they literally reclined or laid down to eat, because that was the custom back then, 
as they reclined at table, something happened. And so we read in Luke chapter 7 and verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner." Has it ever happened to you that maybe you're having a regular day, a normal day, or maybe something exciting is going to happen, maybe you're going on a vacation or you're planning something with friends and family, and then something inconvenient happens. Maybe you're on your way to a vacation and on the way there your, your car breaks down. Or maybe you're planning something to go somewhere and, and you get sick. Or maybe you're you're hanging out with your family and friends, just a normal day, and, and something happens that interrupts your day, and it's just it's annoying, isn't it? Well, Jesus was reclining at table at this Pharisee's house, and a woman interrupts this event. And she comes, and she, I don't think it was one or two tears, I think she was bawling her eyes out at the feet of Jesus. And she wiped those tears off with her own hair. And she kisses his feet. And she pours an expensive oil that must have cost her a fortune and anointed Jesus' feet. And then this Pharisee this Pharisee sees what's happening. Annoyed that she just barged in and she interrupted what, what they were doing. And, she, and he sees her and he says, if this man was really a prophet, if Jesus was really who He says He is, if Jesus really is the Messiah, then He would know what sort of woman is touching Him. That she is from the streets. That she is a prostitute. That she is known to be a great sinner. That she's a nobody. You know, I think if this woman could somehow read minds, if she could read the mind of this Pharisee, and know exactly what he, what he thought of her, I don't think she would fight back. I don't think she would get angry. 
I don't think she would defend herself. Oh, it's just the circumstances that I, that I was presented with in my life. I had no other choice. I had to live this lifestyle. I don't think she would have done any of those things. In fact, I think she would have agreed with them. She would have said, I know. You're right. I am from the street. I am a sinner. I am broken and beaten. I am a nobody. How does Jesus respond to all of this? Verse 44. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Jesus says, I know exactly who this woman is. I know she's from the street. I know she's a prostitute. I know she's broken and beaten. I know she's a sinner. I know she has great sins. I know she's a nobody. But that is exactly who I came for. Jesus came for the nobodies. Jesus came for the sinners. Jesus came for the nobodies. You know, our theme for this year is growth. Growing to maturity. And one of the goals that we have as a congregation here is to mature in our evangelism. You know, there's a lesson here for us in how we can grow and mature in our evangelism. Do you know what that lesson is? That lesson is to stop being like the Pharisee. That when he looked at this woman, he says, there is no way that someone like her could draw near to God. Why is it that when we evangelize, when we're looking for people to evangelize to, we look for people that are just like us, that are all well put together, have a strong family, that just need a little push, just need this much, 
when in reality, Jesus came for the broken, for the people whose lives were completely upside down. I mean, have we forgotten what the church of Corinth was composed of? As we have been reminded recently. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Beginning in verse 9. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you have been washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We find, find it difficult to preach to people who are in adultery because we say, oh, they'll never separate from that person. They'll never make corrections in their lives. Why even bother preaching to them? Or they're, they're a homosexual. They'll never change their lives. They're, they're a drunkard. They're, they're so tied up with addictions. They'll never change. Have we forgotten that it's not my words? It's not my words that change people. It's God's Word. This is where the power is to change people. This is where people read and listen to God's Word and it serves as a mirror where people look at themselves for who they truly are and they realize that they're nothing. That they're a nobody. And it's the nobodies that are ready to change. The nobodies are ready to change. I mean, this is so powerful. I mean, if you think about God's power, you might think about creation. How God created the heavens and the earth, the universe, simply by speaking it into existence. That's power. You might think of God parting the Red Sea and making millions of people cross through on dry land. That's power. You might think of the miracles that Jesus performed. Healing the sick, the blind, the lame. That's power. You might think of God being able to raise people from the dead. That's power. But do you know what shows God's power more than anything else? The power that God has to change people. That even the greatest sinner and draw close to God. Think about Paul. Paul, who he himself claimed to be the number one sinner. Paul says, I am the chief, 
the number one sinner that ever lived. He would go into Christian homes and drag them from their homes and separate families and throw them in jail and be satisfied with the killing of Christians. But he changed. And boy, did he change. He was so important. A pivotal piece in the kingdom of God. You know what's ironic about what this Pharisee thought of this woman? That he thought she was a nobody. Yet, he thought he was somebody. He thought he was holy. He thought he was pure. He thought he was right in the eyes of God. When really he was just of a nobody as that woman. And he didn't realize that, did he? And there's an important lesson for us there. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Bible says, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteous in sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The Pharisee thought of himself as something, as somebody when he was truly a nobody. And if you think you're a somebody, if you think you're something in this life, you will never understand the Gospel. If you think you are somebody in this life, you will never understand the good news that Jesus came 
for the nobody. During the new church times, the Roman Empire, there's something called infanticide that was practiced among the people there. And what that was is when people had children, babies, that they didn't want. They would just leave them out in the open for them to die. Why would they do that? Well, because they were missing a hand or a foot or were blind or were deformed. Or maybe they wanted a girl and not a boy or a boy and not a girl. And they were left in garbage piles or in dung hills or just out in the streets waiting for them to die. Why? Because they were nobodies to them. And if you can imagine walking through the streets of Rome and hearing cries of babies that were left abandoned, and people just walking by, these babies were defenseless, hopeless, couldn't do anything to save themselves. You know, Jesus, Jesus came for the nobodies. And Christians, Christians, we have, doc, we have historical documents that claim that Christians in the beginning of the church took the responsibility of picking up these children, of taking care of them, of providing their needs, and of taking them as one of their own. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Starting in verse 6. Talking about Jesus. Who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's hard to imagine that God the all-powerful, all-knowing God who is up in heaven, in His throne, in all His glory, 
came down to be like us. To live a life with nothing. To live a life of a poor man. A man who had no place to rest his head. A man who was hated. A man who was whipped and beaten and cursed upon and spat upon and crucified. God became a nobody. Just like those babies that were lying around the city that had been forgotten, that had, that had no hope, that they could not save themselves. That's how we found ourselves as well. Without hope, abandoned. Nothing that we could do to save ourselves. But Jesus came and he picked us up and he took us in and he cared for us now we're his children sons and daughters of God Jesus God who is everything became a nobody so that you and I who are nobodies could be something could be children of God If you're visiting with us and you recognize that you are a nobody without God, that we're nothing but dust in the wind, that we have no hope, that we're nothing but sinful, hopeless human beings, that we need God, that we need Jesus to take us in and to be something, to be sons or daughters of God. And if you want to do that, if you want to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and join that family which is God's people, there's no better time to do it than today. For tomorrow may never come. Or if you're a brother or sister in Christ who has been reminded that they are a nobody and need the prayers or encouragement of the congregation, we also ask you to come forward. Whatever your spiritual need is, please.